0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, church. I'm coming at you from another part of my living room. Week by week, you're getting a tour of our house. And uh, week by week, a little part that we're filming in gets clean. So that's <laughs> that's amazing. Um, we are in a series, and we have been for a few weeks, on Love, and we said there's no better way to start the year than thinking about love, especially a year like this, where, think about it, it's really hard to know what's coming. We, nobody can uh, really make a lot of plans for the future because everything seems up in the air. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's not a lot of clarity over um, how this year is going to play out. Um, But one thing that we said is worth our time and our energy and our focus, and that isn't um, stopped by a pandemic, is love. And our argument through this whole thing is actually an argument through a 2,000-year-old letter (laughs) that we're looking at that uh, years later is still so profound and insightful. And the argument we're making, even if you've never read the scriptures, even if you've never read this letter, even if you've missed the first five weeks of this series, is that love is greater than everything. Because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. Love is greater than everything because if you don't have love, everything else is nothing. At the end of your life, the things that you will value the most, more than your achievements, more than your wealth, more than uh, how recognized you were or what you look like, is did I live a life of love and i surrounded by people who know I love them and who loved me. And so we said, hey, there's no better goal for the year than to begin with, The idea of becoming people of love. And yet, we've recognized all the way through this, it is so hard to do. I mean, partly it is even like, well, what is it even? And so every week we are actually taking time to unpack a different aspect of what love is more than just feelings, more than ideas, really practical, gritty every day. And yet, as we're finding, and if you've journeyed through this, um, it's hard to do. And one of the reasons it's hard to do is because we have all been hurt by other people. We've actually experienced the opposite of love. Anger, criticism, rejection, maybe neglect, or just being ignored, or not valued, or being abused, or taken for granted. And these have left big and small um, hurts in our lives. And so we have, you know, like, it'd be really easy to love if it weren't just for other people, <laughs> right? Like, this is actually a really hard thing to do because we have been um, we haven't necessarily been loved well, especially from the people that we would say were are closest to us or the ones who were supposed to love us the most, we have often experienced something less than love. And so it makes it really hard to do. Now, one of our responses to that um, is, is, I would say, something that's good and healthy, but also something that makes it more complicated and harder to love. And I want you to listen to a song which expresses, on the one hand, a beautiful response um, to what it means to live in a, in a world where people have hurt or rejected you. A beautiful response, but even as you listen, it presents a complicated problem for us. And so listen as the band uh, does this song for us.
1: your broken parts I've learned to be ashamed of all The sharpest words wanna cut me down I'm gonna send a fucking dry the bike
0: Well, that is such a beautiful and inspiring song, isn't it? This is me. It's basically saying, hey, I shouldn't worry about what people think about me. I I actually have to love and value myself and not be ashamed and and to be open with who I am and say, this is me. And there's a confidence and there's something really healthy about that. And especially if you haven't seen that musical, I would encourage you, it's from The Greatest Showman. It's so good. And yet there's something complicating about that because another way to translate this is me is a phrase that we use in our culture and have for the last few years. You do you. Hey, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about you, you do you, you pursue what you wanna pursue, you make the choices that you wanna make, don't let anybody tell you what to do, don't let anybody impose their ideas or their values, or don't listen, you know, shake off the haters, like don't listen to that stuff, you do you. Which um, is in one level maybe a good thing, but it actually presents some complicating aspects When it comes to love, the first of which is certainly in a social media culture, you do you has also given permission for me to say, well, you know, this is me criticizing you, (laughs) right? Like it's actually opened up, I can share my opinions freely about anyone and anything and no one can tell me it's wrong. No one can judge me for it. So this is me being me has actually led to a lot of anger and hate and criticism. It actually feels like it's opened up more (laughs) of the opposite of love, certainly in the social media context. But maybe even more importantly and profound and somewhat subtle is the fact that you do you and let me be me can lead to a place where we think if anyone disagrees with me, if anyone disagrees with my decisions, if anyone disagrees with my lifestyle, if anyone disagrees with my ideas, if anyone is critical of those things, they are not loving me. It is unloving to disagree. Like if you love me, you're just gonna support me. If anyone disagrees with me, they're not loving me. And that's created a climate where it is actually, where we don't want to hear and we don't want to tell each other disagreeing opinions. And so there's lots more kind of criticism in a sense, but at the same time, an intolerance for anyone who disagrees with us. We think that is not love. The problem is, is that you do you is too weak of a description of what love is. It's actually not loving at all. You do you is actually apathy. It says you do you, I won't bother with it. I don't care enough actually to say anything other than to you about that. Now why? Why is you do you too weak of a definition of love? Here's why. And hear me out on this. If if I really love you, or let's say it this way, if you really love me, you won't just accept me for the way I am. You're actually going to want me to become more than who I am. Right? Like, if you really love me, you can't just let me be me. Why? Because I have flaws. I have failures. I sin. I know we don't like that word, but it's, it's another word than like, you can't use the word, oh, I made mistakes. You know, Um it was a mistake to travel outside the country when I was telling everyone not to travel outside the country. I heard people say that. No, a mistake is you locked your keys in the rental car. <laughs> it's something else when you planned to do it, right? Like this is and let's not be critical about other people. We all have that. We say we can't make mistakes when you plan to do it. It's something other than it's sin. It's it's something in me that just wanted to do my own thing and I didn't care what happened to other people. And I have that in me. My decisions, my ideas, my actions actually can be hurtful to me and hurtful to the people around me. So if you really love me, you cannot just settle for or let me be me. You actually, if you really love me, you want me to be more than who I am. The person deep down, I believe I can be. I want to be the person. If I'm most honest to say, I'm not there yet. I want to be more than who I am. I just don't know how to do it. And if I really love you, then I will actually be one. I'll want to be more than who I am because I love you. Because if I grow, if I change, if I can learn and grow out of some of the uh, poor habits and poor decisions and bad choices and bad ways of relating or dealing with my emotions, if I change, if I grow out of those, if I become more than who I am, then you will benefit for for it. And the people closest to me should actually want me to change. And if I love them, I should want to change too. And so friends, love is greater than you do you. We actually need to capture a greater vision of love than just that, than just apathy. Now the passage that we're studying, as I said, though it was written 2,000 years ago to a group of Jesus followers in the first century, it is still one of the most enduring pieces of, of literature, if you want to say, that describes love in ways that are not just sort of airy-fairy or feelings or, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, hard-to-understand concepts, but something that's very gritty and real and practical and intersects with our everyday life. And I want you to listen today as the scripture is read because it describes love in two ways that at first seem opposite to one another, but in fact fit together perfectly to give us a powerful and, and a greater picture of what love is than just you do you. So have a listen now. Now, I wonder if you heard uh, those two ideas or caught them, two descriptions of what love is that at first seem opposite to each other. One is, Paul says, love rejoices with the truth. And and maybe one of the kind of literal translations of that from the Greek word, the Greek word there is aletheia for truth, which actually means, maybe you've heard me say this before, reality. But in a sense, rejoicing with the truth is uncovering reality. That's what love is, is to uncover what's really true, what's really real, what's really going on. But he also says, but love also protects. And the idea of protection here from this Greek word uh, that's there means actually to cover up, to cover over. So on the one hand, Paul says love rejoices with uncovering reality, uncovering truth, and love always covers up or covers over it. Now, it doesn't mean sort of a cover up like hiding something. So what are these two things and how do they fit together? And Why are they actually essentially uh, essential to be together? And how do they bring us to a place that's so much greater than you do you into a place of love? So let's start with this idea of love rejoices with the truth. It's a picture of saying love actively seeks and pursues to uncover and to be open and honest about reality. Which is to say, if we really love each other, we will be open or active to talking about what's really going on. To being honest in our relationships and honest with reality. The truth is in a you do you culture like we have. We are very afraid to tell the truth to each other. We are afraid if we see something in our in our loved ones, you know, like a, a friend or a spouse or a family member or a colleague or someone that we are close to, we spend a lot of time with it. We're close enough to see their lives. Um, We're afraid to point out anything that we might see in them. That's a choice that we think maybe isn't good, or habits they have, or things that are about them aren't good. Or that other people are obvious to everyone else, but nobody's told them. We are afraid to do that because it's a you do you culture, and so we are afraid of someone saying, "Oh, you're just being judgy," or "You're criticizing me," or there's there's blowback that comes through that. We are afraid. Think about it. Um, it just in, in in a sense to be like judging, and so we have uh, uh, adopted a very passive. And if I, s- I can say this, a silent approach in many of our friendships, in, in, in many of the relationships with the people that are closest to us. And let me give you some examples. Of, you know, like if you think about people in your life, loved ones, friends, family members that you're close to, someone perhaps is making a r- a really bad decisions in relationships, and you're close enough to see those things. Maybe they're going from one relationship to the other, or the one that they're in. They're repeating patterns that are destructive in the relationship. Maybe you just say, oh, they're really self-absorbed. Everybody knows that. It's always about that. Maybe you're someone you, you wonder, you're close enough to see them, maybe that they're abusing some kind of substance or alcohol or something like that, you know, that's alarming. Maybe they're rushing into um, a big decision, um, either a life change or a monetary decision that's going to have big impact and you, you feel like maybe they're rushing into it too quickly. Maybe you've been close enough to notice or feel like they're a little bit harsh with their kids. Or you know what? They always criticize their spouse in front of other people. Or maybe they just fly off the handle with people. They have a reputation of being that. Or you know that about them because you've seen it. Or maybe you've been the recipient of that. Or maybe there's someone who's cut other people off and sat at a distance. We live in a culture that even though you see those things, because you're close enough to see them, even though many of the other people around them might actually see it, that nobody actually rejoices with the truth or is willing to be open and honest about Reality about the way things really are. And and when we're silent about it or passive about it or unwilling to say anything, we think, well, I don't know how. We say, well, that's not my business or they're they're going to misunderstand it or maybe I don't know the whole story. That is us buying into you do you, which is more about apathy than it is about love. It's not actually love. In fact, as we said, it's pride. Because you know why often I don't want to say anything to you about you is because I'm worried about me. It's about me. I don't want to face rejection. I don't want to have the difficult conversation. I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to inconvenience myself to do it. I don't want to go in that moment. I'm not actually being loving at all. I'm not just saying, oh, let them be. It's actually more about protecting myself than it is about loving Friends, what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do here in relationship is, if we really love each other, we need to tell each other the truth. We need to be open and honest with each other about what we really see, what is really true. That's part of what love is. But, rejoicing with the truth by itself—that so that idea of uncovering, you know, reality must go hand in hand with this other idea of protecting, of actually covering up. And what does that mean? It means that to really love people, and especially if we adopt this idea of saying, okay, we really have to be honest with each other about what we see, about what's going on, what we observe in each other's lives, what we see in each other's decisions, what the patterns we see in relationships, either the things we've experienced firsthand from them or that we've seen and that it's obvious to everyone else but no one has had the courage to say it. Okay, if we're going to do that, we have to do it in a way that seeks to protect them in the process. It's not a secret. It's not covering up secrets, keeping secrets from people or for people that are actually destructive. That's not a good thing. Being careful though and protecting them in the process. Yes, that's part of it. And what are we talking about here? It means that we realize that part of why I need to tell them what's really going on is because I care about them. I'm trying to protect them from themselves. I'm trying to protect them from doing damage to their relationships, from making decisions that can't be undone, from digging themselves into a hole financially. I'm actually trying to protect them. There's an active side of that. But it also means that I protect them in the way that I share truth with them, in my tone, in my approach. What do we mean by, by protecting? It doesn't mean we rant. It doesn't mean we say, well, I'm just telling it like it is. Well, I'm the, I'm the kind of person that just tells it like it is. No, oftentimes that's just anger. That's vindictive. Sometimes we don't say anything. We don't say anything. We don't say anything. We don't say anything. And then we blow up and we rant. We say, you know what? You always, well, you're a blah, blah. That's often because we haven't been consistently actually telling the truth. We've been protecting ourselves and then we explode in anger, which is still about us. And so I'm just a truth teller and the rant or whatever, that's not protecting somebody. Telling everybody else about it, gossiping about it, talking to other people about it, that is not protecting the person. That's actually keeping a secret from them that they need to know. And so we protect by actually being honest, but in the way we do it with tones and words and a gentleness and approach that in many ways also is in the habit of telling them the good truth about them, right? Like if we're never telling them anything positive, if we're we're not someone who verbally praises or affirms or encourages, then all of a sudden when we go and tell them the truth, it's kind of hard to hear because we haven't been protecting them with our words regularly. And so these two things have to go together. They have to fit together to be honest and open and uncover reality and at the same time do it in a way that protects and cares for the other person, that looks to shelter and protect them. But one of the reasons this is so hard for us to do, maybe not hard to understand what I just said, but really hard to do if I'm honest as well, is we, as human beings, have a long history with shame. And I don't mean just you and me. <laughs> I mean we have a history with shame that goes back to the beginning of the world. <laughs> One of the things you'll find when you read the opening pages of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, <laughs> there's a lot of odd things in the book of Genesis if we are sort of looking at them as exactly descriptive of, of all kinds of stuff in terms of a snake and an apple and a garden and all that. But when you actually read the way that it explains the world, you think, whoa, this is so insightful. And one of the odd but really profound descriptions of humanity in the scriptures tells us something about um, this whole idea of love and shame. It says that when human beings... um, made the decision to essentially say to God you do you uh, let me do me right that's essentially what we said to God is independence I want to do what I want to do you do your thing don't oppress me with your ideas and your purpose for my life and all of that stuff when human beings did that it said that shame came into their lives overnight and it says that they they were naked and they covered themselves and they hid which is sort of a strange thing all of a sudden they realized they were naked what's that about well Realizing you're naked is this idea of saying, oh no, I'm exposed. And the instinct to cover up is the instinct of shame. The scriptures say that human beings through our whole lives are marked by psychological shame. That there was a cover up and a hiding. And that that has carried on for thousands and thousands of years. And still we have this this, um, pattern and habit and interaction with ourselves and with the world that is marked by, covered by, infected by shame. And we deal with shame in a sense in, in one of two ways. Either we like criticize and we say, you know, well, oh yeah, like I'm going to point the finger, I'm going to blame, whatever, which we actually see in the opening pages of scripture. But we, we have that thing. when We feel like something is going to, we uh, are being confronted with something we've done wrong or whatever, we blame and we, we shame other people. Or we have this thing that says, "Ah, who cares? I don't care what you think. Like that's the this is me. I'm gonna do me. Like you do you. Whatever. Uh, I don't care what other people think." It's it's still shame. It's a still way of deflecting, saying because our worst fears is that the worst things we believe about us are actually true, and that other people would know them. That's just shame marks our whole lives, and because we have shame, it keeps us from being able to admit that we need help, that we're not okay, that me doing me, you doing you, I, I'm not good enough to actually sort myself out. I have problems. It keeps us from admitting that we've done wrong. It keeps us from admitting that we are wrong. That's what shame does. It deflects. We can't believe those things. Why? Because that's actually the, our worst fear about us is that we really we are who we th- really think we are deep down and that somebody will find out. And so if there's ever the, op- the option where somebody is presenting truth to us, we deflect, we can't hear it. Because of shame. But shame, like, think about this. Doesn't it also keep you from telling somebody else the truth, from being honest with somebody about what you see in their life and how it's actually affecting you? Why? Because you don't want to feel rejection. You don't want them to point the finger right back at you and say, so, "Oh yeah, well you've done this," and you're always right because we are afraid of being accused because we have shame. And so shame gets in the way of us really being able to be honest with what's real and true and being able to sort of uh, to protect each other like that, which is why we need the love of God. The love of God is the one thing that rescues us and heals us from shame. Why? Because the love of God is a radical love that accepts us as we are. It is a radically accepting love. And if you see this in, in, in Jesus in the pages of his biographies, we see the radical acceptance of God. And yet, it is a love that is deeply committed to changing. It is, it is a love that radically accepts us just as we are and loves us way too much. You've heard me say this before. Loves us loves us way too much to leave us as we are. He is deeply committed to changing us. And this is why the love of God rescues us and heals us from shame. It, co- it pulls us out of shame, saying, you don't need to hide. I love you exactly as you are. The person who knows everything about us, from whom we cannot hide, we cannot cover up before the presence of God. God sees and knows everything about us, and yet the one who knows everything Everything about it says, I love you exactly as you are. So you don't need to be ashamed. But I also love you way too much to leave you as you are. So I'm inviting you out of shame into becoming the person that deep down you long to be. The person I made you to be. Friends, this is how the love of God works. And this is what it means for us to show the love of God to each other. That's why Paul was talking to the to the Jesus followers about this. Said, the only way you can do love like this is if you recognize that's what the love of God is like. And in that sense, we need to realize for us to come to people and deal with each other in our relationships where we're honest about uncovering reality, not hiding it, and at the same time protecting one another as we do it. It is not that you are, when you come to, to, to be honest with each other, that you are trying to fight with them. It is a fight for them, right? Being honest with with one another and protecting um, us as we do it is not a fight with each other. It is a fight for each other. It is the same fight God waged for us. He came for us. He is for us. His love was given for us. So how do we do this practically? Right? Like, how how do we actually begin to be people who can show love like this and who can receive love like this? Because shame gets in the way of both of those things, of showing love like that and receiving love. And so, here's a couple of suggestions just to start. How do we tell the truth? Well, if your fight is for the person, then you have to begin by praying for the person. And in fact, if I can say this, praying blessing for the person. Before you ever open your mouth to share truth with them, if you are for them, you will be praying blessing for them first. This is one of the most amazing things you can do, especially if you feel like this is someone whom has hurt you personally. The way to begin to love is actually to be praying blessing for them. Why? Because when we pray for them, we actually begin to remember the love of God for us. We um, Our heart gets softened for them and not praying like God changed them, but like praying blessing for them, praying good for them, p- praying as you reflect on all of the other good things about them, the good truths. And and maybe, secondly, rejoice with good truth more often. If you're someone who rarely praises, affirms, and encourages, it's going to be very difficult for the people around you to receive truth from you because it's only one kind of truth. And so we want to rejoice with good truth more often, things we can affirm and love and encourage and thank people for. Thirdly, if you haven't told them yet, you should not be telling anyone else. Like talking to other people about this decision that they're making or this poor choice and can you believe they did that? Or isn't it crazy how she's always like, and if we have never told them, we should not be talking to anyone else because that's not protecting them. That's protecting you. Fourthly, this is just a practical one. Never tell the truth over text or email. A lot of times we do that because we're protecting ourselves. We're too afraid um, or we don't want to be inconvenienced to actually have the conversation in person. And lastly, begin and end with words that protect. I love you. I am for you. And I'm not going anywhere, right? Words that affirm faithfulness. So often we've experienced unfaithful love from the people around us, people who leave, people who give up on us, people who quit on us, people who walk out the door. We need to, when we are bringing truth to each other, do it in a way that is protecting with words. I love you. I am for you. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm not offended by reacting. are acting. I'm with you. I'm staying with you. That's for those of us or all of us when it's time to actually tell the truth, to uncover reality for someone. And what about when it comes to receiving the truth of being on the other end of that when someone's sharing truth with us? And I, I honestly tell you, I have been blessed through the years and I can remember conversations where people loved me enough to tell me the truth and they were hard and there was everything in me that wanted to resist it. It's all of that shame coming up but they were conversations that truly changed my life. Some, one of them changed the direction of my life. First, I would say, if you're someone to receive truth, look for the 5% that might be true and not the 95% that isn't right? Because we can say when someone comes to us, oh, like, well, that's it. Look at those bad motives, or I can't believe they said that. They do that all the time to me, or, you know, they never say anything positive. Now, we can write off if they did it. Perhaps they, they're going to tell us the truth in all the wrong ways. They're not going to listen to any of the suggestions I gave, and it's going to come out wrong, and it's going to come out angry, and it's going to come, out, okay, don't look at the 95% of the reasons to reject what they said. Ask, okay, what is there even 5% of truth in this? What do I need to hear about this, and how can I accept that? And secondly, to tell yourself in those moments when, or maybe someone says, I need to have a tough conversation with you or whatever, like say, okay, this is for me. God, protect me. I know this is for me. So God, can you protect my heart? Don't hide this from me. I need to know, but protect me as I hear it. Protect me as I receive it so I can actually receive it for my good. friends, you and I have dreams of becoming far more than who we are. In our most honest moments, we're not okay to just be me. I want to be more than who I am. I want to grow, I want to be free of my addictions and my compulsions and my destructive patterns of thought and relating and the ways I hurt myself and the ways I hurt others. I wanna be free, I wanna grow, I want to be more than who I am. And God wants that for you too. And the people he has put in your life or the reason he has put you in other people's lives, is so that, at, that as we love each other like this, with the courage to be open and honest about reality and a tenderness and a compassion to protect each other as we do, this is God's gift and means for us to actually become who we were meant to be. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. And the communion elements represent the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Jesus Christ is one of, it's maybe it's the most, the fullest description of the love of God for us. Why? Because the cross shows us an uncovering of reality that is even hard to look at, where God says, I actually came to die for you. You needed someone to die in your place. You needed someone to forgive you. He is telling us the truth. This is how much I loved you. And it is also protecting us at the same time. Why? Because on the cross, all of the shame and humiliation and guilt was put on Jesus. He was exposed and humiliated and shamed so that we could be covered, protected, cared for, and loved. And so even as you take communion today, and maybe it's the first time or the hundredth time that you would receive it as the deep love of God that tells you the truth about who you are and in a way that protects you and says, I did this for you. Just to give you a few minutes to prepare, the band's gonna lead us in a song called As You Find Me. And it is a song that poetically and beautifully just describes you love me as you find me, but your love is too good to
1: leave me here.